For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The Gospel of the Lord. He is risen. Herman the Hermits, yes. And now you get to wonder why I did that. Maybe it'll become clear. Maybe it won't. Happy Easter. Easter. Very good. Very good. You're awake. That's fantastic. A few years ago, I was in Jerusalem and had the opportunity with a bunch of other guys. We kind of got together and decided, you know, early in the morning, we're going to go down to one of the tomb sites where they believe that Jesus might have been buried And so we went down to that site. Now, I dare say that most of us knew that the tomb was empty. But we just had to go and sneak a peek inside and find out for sure for ourselves. Was it empty? And guess what? It was empty. And many of you believe in the empty tomb, but I'll bet there are some here this Easter morning because you just had to take a peek inside. And see if, in fact, the tomb is empty. Let's talk with God and invite him into our conversation this morning. Now may the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts, truly be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. Our rock, our redeemer, for Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. The last few weeks we've been in the midst of a study called Love Dare. And we have kind of examined the scriptures a little bit about this thing we call love. This one thing, to quote City Slickers that we started off with, this greatest thing in all of the world, love. And we looked at several writers of the Bible who expanded on what Jesus taught when Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Why do we spend some time on this? Well, if you love God, you will live out that love. But if you don't, you won't. If you don't, you'll just be going through the motions. You'll be just going through religiosity, religious pretense. However, with love, it's faith in God and living it out in our lives. Donna just read for us this verse from John 3.16. I'd like us to read it in unison together. So it's going to come up on the screen. Ready? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God's love is the greatest love in the universe And God's love for the world 
means that God's love is for you and, and for me. Now, I was raised on this Bible verse, and of course it was in the language the Apostle Paul preached, the King James Version. How many of you have memorized this verse? Okay, many of you, most of you have memorized this verse at some time. And I have to be honest that I really didn't understand this verse until the mother of my children gave birth to our first child, our daughter, DJ Dawn. And I recall that morning, she was born and they kind of whisked her off in a, a few moments. And, and then I remember going to the nursery and a nurse accompanying me there. I went and got my daughter out of that little oven that they keep them in. <clears throat> and I cradled her and I hugged her close. And I looked into her face. I whispered into her ears. And as I was whispering, I began to whisper Scripture verses. And one of them was John 3.16. And I said into her ear in a whisper, Dawn, God so loved the world that he gave his only. And I got caught up. Because all of a sudden I realized how precious that little life in my hands was and could only begin to imagine what it was like for God to give his son, Jesus Christ, to die for me, to die for my wrongdoings, my disobedience, my rebellion against God. And I just stopped because I know the end of the story. I know why God gave his son. He gave him to die a horrible, horrible death, an unjust death on a cross. Why? To save me, to save you, to save the world of humankind. And as I gazed into the face of my one and only child, that verse changed for me. I've never read it the same way since. So let me say that verse again, or let us say that verse again, only in place of the word world, we've got a blank there, and I want you to put your own name into that blank, okay? For God so loved Bill that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You see, he loves each and every one of us by name. Not just the six billion plus people and oh, that's good enough for other people but I'm not so sure about me. But it really changes our thought of how God loves us. Now I want you to do it one more time. And I want you to say the first half of that verse, and this time instead of world or instead of your own name, to just use the personal pronoun, me. Okay? For God so loved me that he gave his one and only Son. That really kind of changes it, doesn't it? It's not just the person to your right or your left or in front or in back of you. It's not just that really good neighbor that's always quoting you Bible verses. It's not just the person that's at church every time the door opens. God loves you. Now, now for the Easter punchline. Okay, you're all supposed to get up on the edge of your seats and act like you're really interested in what is it? What is that Easter punchline? Kind of like E.F. Hutton, you know? So what? So what if God loves us that way? So what if God did all these things, allowed them to happen? So what? 
So what if God loves me? So what if he sent his son? So what if his son died for me? So what? In a Harris poll, they asked the question to the American public, do you believe in the actual bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ? What do you think? How many Americans would you say? What percentage of Americans would you say believed in that? And don't shout it out loud. Just, just think of it in your mind. Get a number in your mind. I was kind of surprised. 71% of Americans said they actually believed that Christ arose from the dead. So wouldn't you think that 71% of people in our country would pray to that miraculously risen Jesus Christ, the Messiah? Wouldn't you think that 71% would seek to follow his teachings? That 71% would care for the poor, for the widow, for the orphan, for the single parent, for the hungry, for the disenfranchised, the dispossessed, the oppressed, just as Jesus did? Frankly, that's just not the case. There's this disconnect between what we think or what we believe and how we live our lives. Christian faith has never been just about what we think or just about what we believe. You see, don't get me wrong here because our beliefs are important. Our faith is rational. But it's mostly important what's in our hearts. So let me ask you, what is your heart saying today about this Easter thing? What are your thoughts about this Easter thing? I want you to do me a favor for just a moment. I want you to take, and take your pulse, wherever that is, if that's in your wrist or your carotid or whatever. I want you to just kind of take your, your pulse. And hopefully you've all got one, otherwise we're in trouble. Okay? You feel it? The heart, uh, by the way, take your hand away now. I don't want any of you uh, blocking off a carotid artery. The heart is an amazing, amazing thing. The heart is a machine created by God inside of us. And that muscle will pump 100,000 times today to keep you alive. It will pump 2,822,400 beats per month, or 36,792,000 per year, give or take one or two. Or... 2,859,380,000 approximately in an average lifespan it will pump for you. It has more interactive parts and accomplishes more than any machine that humans have ever devised. Your heart will pump your five-point whatever liters that you might contain of blood through your veins, through your arteries, through all your capillaries, and it will pump them about 12,000 miles per day. That's back and forth across the United States four times, ocean to ocean. It will pump 53,746,251 and a half gallons, approximately, which is enough in your lifespan to fill three-plus super tankers of oil. But when the Bible speaks of your heart, it's not talking about that muscle. It's talking about that God-made machine in your chest that keeps you alive. It's often speaking about the core, the essence of who you are, who God made you to be. 
your character, your will, your passion, your values, who you really are. And the heart is not about what we know. It's about what we do with what we know. It's about our passions in life. It's about our compassions towards others. And that's why Paul says, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans chapter 10. Know in your heart what you believe. The disciple Peter preached his first sermon in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit came and empowered the disciples to share the good news of God just as he does with each one of us in Christ. And when Peter was asked by these people, what shall we do? What had happened to them was they were cut into the heart. Now, that wasn't a literal wound. They weren't bleeding or anything. But it just means it so profoundly touched them in their essence of who they were, who God made them to be. And they said, what must we do? To which Peter responded, repent and be saved. Jesus, that first Easter, was walking along with a couple of uh, people along the road to Emmaus. And after he had left them, they commented to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us? That wasn't Mexican food, heartburn. That was talking about hitting us to the very center, the very core of who we are. And so I ask you, for whatever reason you came here this morning, what does your heart say about the Easter event? How does your heart burn within you? How does it touch you to the very core of who you are? Now, I would warn you, don't be too quick to respond. Sometimes your heart lies to you. How many have heard the song, Your Lion Cheating Heart? Okay. Who, who sang that? Yes, very good. One brave soul out there. Hank Williams, yes. But long before, approximately 2,500 years before Hank told us about the, that, the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 17 declared, The heart is deceitful above all things. Who can understand it? You see, sometimes our hearts lie to us, saying things like, you know, I really don't need saving. I'm pretty good by myself. I'm a pretty, pretty good husband and a uh, pretty good parent. And, uh, you know, I, I'm good enough kind of the way I am. Maybe when I get into a real pickle, when I get myself into a real humdinger uh, and real trouble, you know, but mostly I'm okay and I really don't need God. There are a lot of religious people out there that feel that they're okay on their own. In fact, they feel that they're better than most people that they look at around them, at least the ones they use to compare themselves to. And so the problem is that God doesn't grade on a curve. You see, comparing you to others isn't God's criteria to determine where you're at in relationship to Him. According to the Bible, every one of us needs God. Everyone, each one. On the outside, we may appear like, hmm, we've kind of got it all together. But you see, God doesn't look at the outward appearances. God looks at the heart, at who we really are. So how about you? Done things which shame you? 
Do you wish that you could have a do-over now and then where you could just have those moments back and do it differently? You would have done it differently if you had a chance. I sure have. And if you knew some of the things that I've done, you might not want me as your pastor. But then again, if I knew some of the things that you've done, well, we won't go there. You see, the God of the universe loves us. God loves me. Say that with me. God loves me. No, say it like you mean it. And this time we're going to add a word, really. God really loves me. Each one of you and me, God loves. So that's one kind of heart lie. I'm good enough, I really don't need God. The second one is, oh, I'm just way too bad. I've fouled up too much. I've screwed up, messed up my life. I am so broken. No way that God would want me. He couldn't possibly want me. It's kind of the opposite of the first lie. I could never be good enough to earn God's love. The Apostle John, who wrote our text, he also wrote three letters called 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. Pretty clever, huh? In 1st John chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, he says there, This then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. Whenever our hearts condemn us, For God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. He knows us inside and out. In our verse, John 3, 16 and 17, what did it say in verse 17? God came not to condemn us. That's not what God is in the business of. He's not there with some sort of a heavenly fly swatter waiting for you to mess up so he can get you. That's not our God that we believe in. It's not the God of the word of scriptures. He's not there to tell us how lousy we are, how rotten we are, how broken or unworthy we are. The same heart which lies to us, ah, I'm good enough, I really don't need saving, can also tell us we would never be good enough to experience his salvation. We are damaged goods, worthless. Why would God care and want to relate with us. John's gospel, or John in his letter in chapter 3 of 1 John says, God is greater than our hearts. He made us. He designed us. He purposed for us to live out his will. God is greater than our cheating, lying hearts. In our text, we are affirmed that he loves us, each and every one of us. So what do we do with this cheating, lying heart? We need to turn towards God. We need to love God with all our heart, all that we are. The writer of Proverbs said, trust in the Lord do not, uh, with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. We can choose to love God. We can choose to believe what God says about us because God loves us. And I just can't seem to do it on my own. I don't know about you. God says elsewhere in Proverbs, my son, my daughter, give me your heart. Surrender. Surrender your heart to God. Surrender your life to God. Will you? Will you do that?
On a night we call Good Friday, the only good pure heart to have ever lived was mocked, was beaten, was tortured, and then was nailed to a cross, and he hung suspended between heaven and earth for hours. And then, then, a handful of his grieving, broken, disheartened followers took his body, buried him in a tomb, rolled a stone in front of the entrance, and went to their homes to mourn their leader. The loss of hope, the loss of purpose. What now? What would they do? What did it all mean? God, God, we just don't understand. Ah, but that wasn't, that wasn't the end. The powerful love of Almighty God restarted that heart again and brought his son, the Messiah, the Christ, back to life. And the world has never been the same since. Did you hear it? Baby, baby, can't you hear my heartbeat? We hear Christ's heartbeat for each and every one of us. He is alive. And the question is, does your broken, messed up heart need restarting today? Do you need hope? Do you need healing? Do you need God to touch you and resurrect your heart again? Let God tell your heart the truth. God so loved the world, God so loved you, God so loved me that he gave his one and only son for us. Let's pray. God, you created us to have a purposeful, incredible life. We've blown it on our own, creating a gap between us and you. But God, you reached out to bridge that gap by sending your Son, not to condemn us, not to beat us up for all the wrongs we've done, but to save us and to forgive us, to love us and to help us live differently. God, all we have to do is to invite you into our hearts, into our lives, to put you in the driver's seat. God, we invite you in. And for many of us, that's reaffirming a previous choice that we've made. But for some here this morning, this may be the first time they're just saying, you know, God, I've tried everything else and they haven't worked. I need you in my life. I need your resurrection power in my heart. God so loved you. Thank you, God. Amen. Will the ushers come forward to receive the offering, please?